the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Seven minutes after uh, six on a Tuesday, Elizabeth is here. How you doing, Elizabeth? Uh, I've talked to you uh, through text over the last few days, uh, but uh, you can't tell really how a person's doing through texting other than you go by what they say. But when you hear people, you can tell. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing good. You? (laughs) I'm doing fantastic, except that I woke up late today. It got, you know, it was a nice night to sleep. I don't know if everybody else feels like I do, but when you got your windows open, which I do, and uh, you're trying to sleep at night, and the temperature gets down into the you know mid upper 40s, because when uh, you know when I woke up this morning, it was 50 degrees, but it was about 47 at about three o'clock, and. That's just perfect sleeping weather. I had the windows open. It was nice and cool, and I was burrowed down in my blankets, and uh, I had a hard time waking up this morning. I, I was, uh, I was telling you earlier that uh, typically uh, I give myself my, uh, uh, you know, I hit the buzzer where it gives you an extra five minutes to sleep or whatever, and that's what I thought I hit. And evidently, I got partially over top of it and i turn my alarm off and i get up at quarter after four ish you know four thirty ish and uh, i opened my eyes and looked at the clock and i was well past five o'clock and um, i hate waking up like that because what happens is i see that it 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 makes its uh you know its impact on my brain when i figure out it's after five o'clock yeah and then i took the huge (laughs) jolt of adrenaline that goes goes uh, off with that uh looking at uh, the weather it looks like rain is going to start here in the next uh you know six or seven minutes uh rain is over there by you right now in conway it's moving towards uh, little rock as we speak and uh, we're going to have uh, uh, a wet day today. It's nothing doesn't look like anything's going to be really, really heavy. It's all looking dark green, which is, a, you know, getting uh, rain that's going to be, um, you know, consistent and uh, typical kind of like uh, just a rainstorm, not, not thunderstorm, you know, two, two inches and two hours kind of rain, but... Uh, there's a lot of rain out to the uh, to the west, and it's all moving towards Arkansas. So we're going to have some rain today, and so take an umbrella with you. 
when you go to work and today chilly. if you haven't if you haven't left. And yeah, it's going to be a little bit chilly as well. As I look here, our high today only fifty nine degrees, so uh, much cooler than we've been used to (laughs) over the last few days but here's the cool thing uh tomorrow it will be 81 (laughs) oh my gosh hey welcome to arkansas (laughs) yeah absolutely it'll be 81 tomorrow and then the rest of the week is in the um, low 80s 83 on thursday 80 on friday 82 on saturday 82 on sunday but every day Looks like we're going to have a pretty good chance uh, uh, for rain. I mean, we got a 60% chance today, a 50% chance tonight. Uh, for Wednesday, you got a 40% chance during the day. It goes down to 19% uh, uh, tomorrow night with the clouds breaking out a little bit. And then Thursday, 40% chance of rain and 40% chance of rain at night. So, to be honest, now to go by, go by the percentages. Your chances of not having rain are a tad bit higher than getting rain, but carry an umbrella with you anyway because um, there's a good possibility you're going to get caught in the rain uh, sometime, uh, you know, today, tomorrow, or the next several days. Uh, rain is going to be in the area, and. You know, the Mayflowers should be blooming. We don't need the rain now. We're done. We've got the April showers. I was just going to say, this this better bring some Mayflowers because I know you and I both, I have trouble when it gets this dark for this many days. We've had nothing but rain quite a bit this spring. And so the dark, dark weather. So we better be getting some flowers out of all of this. (laughs) You know, I used to not put any, any credence in the whole seasonal uh, adjusted you know, lifestyle or whatever. I don't know if Heidi does or not, or you do, but I can tell you this. If I don't see the sun at least a couple of times during the week, and I'm not talking about just for a couple of moments, I'm talking about a day of sunshine. Uh, it bothers me. It really, it bothers really me too. It starts to feel like, uh, what am I living in the UK? Like where it yeah. rains all the time and it's all cloudy. Oh yeah. I feel the same way. Yeah, if I wanted We'd that, I'd it. moved out to Washington State, right? I mean, uh, seriously. Oh, no. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. <laughs> It'd be pretty to no see way. the forests up there, but yeah. I, I've i got an, uh, an old high school buddy that I talked to from time to time. In fact, we had a really nice conversation uh, on uh, the weekend. And uh, for whatever reason now, Doyle, and, uh, that's his name, was... A really moody person in in high school. I mean, we're talking really moody person. I'm I'm talking about the guy that, you know, when the girl that he was dating decided that he wasn't the one, uh, you know, he was devastated and he was down in the dumps and in the blues for for days, and uh, so. He had been living in northwest Indiana all of his life, and all of a sudden I get a, a text from him, now this is a couple of years back, and said that he and his wife were getting a divorce, and he was moving to Portland, Oregon. And I, oh, I, I, I called him. I didn't just text him or email him. I called him. I said, what are you, are you out of your mind? I said, Doyle, it rains 
consistently there. I mean, the sun disappears and doesn't come back for a long time. He goes, ah, I know that, but I can handle it. I talked to him this weekend, and he says it's the dumbest move I ever made, but I don't have the move, the money to move out. So, you know, he's stuck there, and I feel sorry for him because I'll tell you what, if you're a moody person, that kind of weather, I would think, would just drive you crazy after a while. Just There's no doubt nuts. about it. It would, at I'm least just it with would you. Be. It's too darn dark. It's just dark. Yeah. I can, I, I don't. can, you know, do fine. But if I look out like today, if the sun were to break out at 10 a.m., I mean, it's like flipping a switch. All of a sudden, it's like, hey, everything's okay. You feel so much yeah. different. I don't know. Those of us who have it, it's just a weird thing. Yeah, like I said, I, I'm never saying saying. I don't know if I got it or or not. I guess I should go get me one of those lamps that that douses you with uh, UV radiation like the sun gives out and sit in front of it for about 10 minutes every day and then my, my, uh, I'll feel better all the time. But I, I, I felt a little down uh, when it gets, when it gets uh, cold, cold. I mean, it could be 10 degrees below zero and have bright sunshine, and I'd feel great. I don't know about the rest of you, but... There's something about the sun shining that helps me out as far as that's concerned. But uh, anyway, the bottom line is as far as your your uh, weather is going for the next few days, it's going to be kind of <laughs> cloudy. And it's going to be rainy today. So it's going to be one of those days. And we need those kinds of days. The only trouble is I like them when I'm off so that I can just kind of sit on the couch. I put my put up the, the foot rest, put my head back, and I've been known to... to just nap all day long, you know. Do my when do you're my up thing. at the hour of the morning that you get up. There's nothing wrong with it. <laughs> well, I think I think Heidi knows this. I I cut my promo for her and hang up and and I walk from here. Oh, I'm looking at it's about 18 feet <laughs> to my couch, and I sit on the couch, put my feet up, turn it over to uh, and uh, to. Uh, uh, the morning news on Fox, and I'm asleep in 10 minutes, and maybe even faster than that. And I'll, I take a nap until about 11. I get up, and then I go in and and do my dive. And for everybody out there, let me give you an update. I went and saw the doctor dun, dun, dun. yesterday, and my uh, my foot is nearly healed now. I mean it. So it's, happy to it's hear almost, that news, Dave. It's almost done. That's wonderful. And, uh, I got one more week of uh, the hyperbaric chamber, and then I'm done with that. So it looks like maybe I'll see her next week, and she's going to give me uh, a clean bill of health, and I'm excited about that. And let me just tell you, we look. Uh, you know this, Elizabeth and uh, Heidi. You don't because you weren't you weren't here yet. But I went through nine weeks of wearing a freaking pick line, and uh, them dumping. Uh, Best way I can put major, it. major antibiotics. Copious, yeah, copious amounts of antibiotics into my body because I got MRSA when I was in the hospital the oh, first goodness. time, and they they had to mm-hmm. kill that off. And they got yep. that all killed off, and then I uh, I kept getting a, another infection. Uh, we'd get rid of it. I'd go off of my antibiotics. It'd come right back, and Ooh. so they put they would take me in and put a, that pick line back in. And I'm just going to be honest with you. It's not like it hurt really bad to get a pick line put in. They're just 
irritating because they get in your way all the time. You've got that tube, you know, hanging in front of you all the time. And so um, finally uh, we got uh, got rid of everything, and I, I looked at the doc, and doc says, okay, we're going to do a you know, look at your, at your, do a culture on your, your injury. And it came back, uh, pseudomonas, uh, in it. Well, pseudomonas is everywhere, folks. I mean, it's in the dirt. It's everywhere around you. So trying to keep from having pseudomonas, as far as I'm concerned, is really hard to, to get rid of. And I started reading about how to get rid of pseudomonas. And I came across this couple studies that were done at one of the universities here in the United States about using acetic acid. That's stuff they vinegar. use in vinegar. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it's the stuff that they use to pickle pickles, you know. And they put me on a, 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 a quarter percent of acetic acid, and it, it, was, it was defeating the pseudomonas. Well, I also read in these studies that doctors and nurses and hospitals get this 0.25%, but they were finding that the best percentage was a 0.75 or 1% solution. So I met with my doctor one day, and I said, look, I've been reading all about this, and I, I want to make my own. Let's, um, let's mix up water and vinegar and come up with a, a 1% solution. And she says, well, we don't want to do damage. So we talked about it, and we ended up doing a 0.75 solution. And I have been, um, I have been uh, free of this uh, particular pseudomonas now for uh, three weeks. So uh, think about that. Just vinegar, diluted vinegar, finally got rid of the problems that I was having uh, with uh, with this wound, and now it's it's healing. In two weeks, uh, it has almost completely healed up. And I'm talking that's a that's a big yeoman's job. I had uh, a hole in my foot that went from the bottom of my foot, and you could put a Q-tip in it and push it through my foot, and 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 tent the skin on the other side. Can't do that anymore. I'm just telling you, it's great. That's a gnarly image, Dave. Well, I'm sorry. I hope. I hope. I, no, I, you're fine. I'm hoping. I hope. Hoping people weren't eating their breakfast when I said that. Uh, just saying that, that that's that's what I've been dealing with, and this all started back on uh, Labor Day of last year. So it's been a long haul. Uh, there have been moments. Uh, yeah, it's it's been a mental thing more than it's been a, a, a you know any kind of painful physical thing. But it it's it, mentally it's been difficult. It's been a real fight uh, a couple of times when you get to where you think you're it's just about done, and then they turn around and go, oh, we got a problem. Uh, you know, I've had that happen before. Not I have never gotten this close. Doc looked at me yesterday and said. Because uh, I said, okay, what's the chances of a reoccurrence? <laughs> and she looked at me and she says, I, I think you're out of the woods now. So that, that made me feel good. We finally have moved forward. All right, when we come back, uh, let's talk about, uh, how you know, was Obama involved in this Flynn thing? Because I'm telling you what, uh, if he wasn't, it's like everybody else in his administration sounds like they were. We'll talk about that here in just a moment. 21 minutes after six, probably the reason why he's, uh, you know, 
uh, out there screaming and, and complaining and saying that this uh, defeats the rule of law and whatnot. I don't know what, what, what his rule of law is, but when an innocent person is released because they have been uh, misused and abused by the legal system, uh, the rule of law has uh, truly been established when they're found not guilty. We'll be back. We'll do more here on the Dave Ellswick Show. 22 minutes after 6, traffic and weather together. Let's get that right now. Heidi, you bring it up for us here on 101.1 FM, The Answer. All right, so here's the key. And Hannity talked about this last night. Uh, Hannity says many current and former Obama officials have reason to be worried after these uh, uh, Flynn revelations that have been coming out. He opened up his uh, program last night by zeroing in on what President Trump has dubbed Obamagate. Okay, Uh, of course, that's in reference back to the 70s to Watergate. And he slammed uh, former President Obama and his administration for their role in the Russia investigation and the investigation of Michael Flynn. And uh, Hannity said, remember National Security Advisor Susan Rice? Remember, she went back. She sent herself a very unusual email. She references the president's January 5th meeting in the Oval Office on January 20th, 15 days later, and said that Obama said he wanted all the investigations to be done by the book. So why are you writing this on Trump's inauguration day? Why is Susan Rice memorializing a meeting about Flynn in the Oval Office? Do everything by the book, Obama said. Can it be any more obvious that the person that lied on five Sunday shows about Benghazi was scared to death that Obama's plotting and scheming was soon going to get exposed? Now, the reason Rice might think that is that now Trump's going to be president and sooner or later somebody's going to come across uh, these documents. And they have done a really good job, shift being number one, uh, you know, plotter here of sitting on these documents and wouldn't, wouldn't show them to anybody. Didn't show them to anybody. And if you remember... During the first two, two and a half years of Trump's presidency, uh, Schiff always said, I've got definite proof. You remember that, Elizabeth? I have definite proof of collusion between this president and uh, and, uh, the Russians. Problem was, all the documents that he had that had all of the interviews with these higher-ups in the Obama uh, 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 case uh, against the president uh, said they knew nothing, that there was no evidence of any collusion. Now, during that time, after they'd given these interviews, they were telling the press and they were they tell anybody that would ask them, they would would say, oh, yeah, they uh, anybody who's got more information needs to step forth and and unveil it and talk about it and bring it out. And they were doing no more than just, uh, you know, uh, doing a fishing expedition uh, live and in front of everybody. 
they were asking people, they were hoping against hope that somebody would step forward and say, yeah, uh, I know that they did this, and I've got proof that they did this, because you know the bottom line of it, what it was, uh, Elizabeth? They didn't have any proof. It was all based upon, I feel this way, the way a lefty always (laughs) thinks. Leftists always think that way. You know, I just know it in my soul. Well, and they keep repeating it, and they say it so often that they begin to just, you know, completely believe it. It's, have you ever known anybody who's told a lie, and they've told it so much? And Heidi, maybe the same thing you've had this run into. We'll talk about it when we come back, because we've got news coming up. But the bottom line, they tell lies so often that they believe, after a while, that it's true. That's exactly where these folks are at. All right, let's Living take a in break. in a fantasy world. Yeah, they are. Let's take a break. And when we come back uh, after the news, we'll take this up more because it goes a long way explaining a lot. I hear the new guy doing the traffic. It makes me want to have a cheesesteak from <laughs> Philadelphia. I'm just saying. <laughs> New York. (laughs) (laughs) It just feels that way. Anyway, uh, getting light outside now. It's uh, 25 minutes till 7. If you've got to be to work at 7, you've got 25 minutes to get there. If you've got to be there at 8, you've got some time yet. Wolf down that bowl of cereal if that's what you're having for breakfast and uh, make your way. By the way, uh, some restaurants started reopening yesterday, guys, here in Arkansas. I went past... uh, uh, over in North Little Rock, went past uh, uh, the, uh, well, what restaurant is that right there on, uh, oh, doggone it. It's the place that serves breakfast all day long. It just uh, IHOP? IHOP. No, not IHOP. The other one. The other one. Danny, get- Waffle House? <laughs> Waffle House? You guys have put everybody but this one. Cracker Barrel. Cracker Barrel. Oh. I went by Cracker Barrel. Oh. And they had a lot of people at the Cracker Barrel. Now, nothing like it normally is. The parking lot would be slammed, uh, uh, you know, for Cracker Barrel. But um, I could see where I'm sure they they were living by what the governor has said, 30 percent, you know, capacity. And you got to do your six foot distancing and and all of that. I might go in today just to see how it's all set up inside because they got a lot it's uh they got booths of course but they got a lot of tables and i'd like to see how they got the tables uh rearranged uh, to meet that that but uh, some restaurants were uh, were open uh, sunday i i ordered from nehru here in in cabot and uh, oh yeah one, one of my favorite uh, restaurants here and uh it, they just really uh uh, they had it still shut down. You couldn't uh, go in and sit down. Uh, but it was Sunday. You're not supposed to. But uh, yesterday they could have. I don't know if they opened their dining room facilities or not. Or not. Uh, several places have uh, reopened in Cabot. So that's good. I'm, I'm glad to see this. And we had Matt Smith on yesterday. He talked about he's reopening next uh, this coming Monday. And, uh, you know, they're going to be only able to seat people every other row, and uh, they'll have to be. If if you come in, let's say there's five of you and you're you're all of the same family, they'll let you all sit together. 
then if there's another, let's say, let's say Linda and I came in, they'd have six feet, which is probably two seats, uh, between us and the other family so that we could continue uh, with our social distancing. So as, if, if you just give a little thought to it, uh, that tells you uh, a full house for them is not going to be anywhere near uh, a full house. And, and that's why they're only going to charge $5 to see a movie because it's not, they're not going to be first-run movies. Uh, there's not a lot of first-run movies out there right now. Uh, they rearranged the release dates on a lot of these movies until they know that these movie theaters are going to be able to take enough patrons in uh, to pay uh, for for doing that. I mean, I don't know if you heard yesterday when Matt was on, Elizabeth, but he was talking that, for instance, Justin Cabot, his, uh, he's in there for $8.5 million. Mm-hmm. For that facility. Yep. So I don't know how yep. much he's in when you consider that over the last oh, five to seven years, uh, he's redoing uh, Hot Springs. Several. Yeah. Cabot, Searcy, and now Batesville as well. And uh, he'd already redone uh, Riverdale 10. So, uh, I'm, you know, this is hurting him really bad. He's not getting any money in to pay his bills, and because most of his uh, workers are part-time, it's not like you need yeah. full-time people to run a, a movie theater. you got a few full-time people, but getting that money, the PPP money, is I think uh, he's not uh, able to get that, so he doesn't get any real. He's not getting any relief at all. Uh, as he said yesterday, and Heidi, you you know, he was on and you were listening in. Uh, he said that, you know, they're bleeding and bleeding bad. So we uh-huh. hope that things, uh-huh. you know, get some, get, you know, like he said, he wants to get the doors open again so at least his staff can make some money. You know, that that's the key. His staff will be able to make some money at that point. Even Elon Musk. The overhead uh, for his theaters, um, that's not happening until... Yeah, he can, you know, open up and uh, Hollywood reopens and starts releasing new motion pictures and things of that nature. And and not until people start feeling comfortable again about going out uh, with crowds. I saw an article yesterday that said only uh, only about uh, 45 percent of the people surveyed were comfortable going out to to restaurants and things um, uh, immediately, that uh, more of them would rather stay home and do carry-out and stuff. So it could take maybe a month to get people where they finally go out and put their toe in the water and see that they step out the door of their house and go to a restaurant and they come home, they're not going to start hacking and coughing and running a fever. You know what I'm saying? They're... Uh, people fear is a terrible, terrible thing. Uh, it's one of the worst emotions out there because it paralyzes you. It gets you where you won't do anything, and that's not good. That's just not good. And uh, you want to do something. You you want to take on this, and and uh, until that happens, uh, we'll suffer here uh, in our country. I hope it doesn't last very long. I hope people show their strength and uh, resiliency uh, and uh, and go back out and, and go have dinner and things of that nature. 
You know, I, think I what just, I'm, go ahead. I think what I'm seeing is people are weary of staying home. And I know here where I am, most of the people I'm around and that I'm seeing and my neighbors and the people I'm talking to out in the street six feet away, we nobody we know is really, you know, people are suffering economically, but no one we know is sick. We're not seeing it in front of our eyes. So we're getting weary because people are, you know, it's that hidden enemy and people are weary of that. And I, I'm seeing more and more people. You say 40 percent say they're ready to go out and about. Yeah, about, four, about 45 percent. Yeah, what I saw last week was in the low 30s. So just in a few days time, people have become very, you know, from 30 to 40 percent is pretty significant. Last week, only 30 percent of the people wanted to get out. Now it's 40 it won't take long, and I think it's because, again, it's a hidden enemy. It's not like we can see it in front of our faces here. Now, in New York and in New Orleans and in California and places where it's so, so prevalent, it's so much more obvious to the daily, you know, just looking out there. I think that's what's happening in places like here, you know, here where we just don't have near the severity um, again, only the people who see it are seeing it. Everyone else is getting tired of it all. Even Elon Musk. <laughs> yeah, he's reopening today. Did he's you hear opening. what he said, though? No. He said, if you have to come and arrest me for the, anybody for this, you come and arrest me. I want it to be me, not my people. They need to go back to work. From yeah, Elon said, Musk, of all people. <laughs> yeah, he said he'll be there. He's going to be there at his plant. He's going to be there. So if they want to start arresting people, he'll be the first one that uh, will get in the paddy wagon, so to speak, and and get booked. But, I was I was impressed with that. I am not usually impressed with Mr. Musk. But, well, here's, uh, you here, know. Here, but here's the key, Elizabeth. He is saying things that a lot of people are saying. For instance, the That's governor, right. Newsom, has said it's okay for a company his size to reopen uh, and and to do business. It's Alameda County. That say, no, it's right. not. You know, it's a county official overriding what the governor has said. And Elon Musk is saying, screw you. We need to we need to get back to work. It's such an interesting thing because the left, their their whole thing is big daddy government will fix all our problems, take care of us for everything. They'll do everything for us. And right now, the left is the one who wants everybody to stay shut down and let's just hunker down at home. And, and I assume that they think that the government will handle it on their behalf if they just stay out of the way. Well, that's what the they're doing. Yeah. But, yeah. Well, let's stop you right there. That's what they think, because what are they talking about? You have people floating ideas like, well, people have got to have money if they're not at work. So we'll give them two thousand dollars a month, uh, you know, to to get by on. We can't do that. If you keep giving people money, what makes them want to go back to work? Well, it's just unhealthy in so many ways. <laughs> you know, working is a good thing. It makes you be productive. It makes you think we we're we live in a country that we believe in self-determination and we believe in independence and we believe in freedom. That is not compatible with the government giving me money every month so I can sit home and do nothing. Well, it if, doesn't. if there's one thing, one thing that we can both agree on, something that's been pointed out here are the people who are are uh, willing to give up their freedom for what they think is their security. And we know where that leads. Uh, Benjamin Franklin told us that. 
when he said, if you're willing to give up your freedom for a little bit of security in the end, you'll have neither. And um, and, and, and that's kind of where we are in some instances. Um, the governor is going to be on Thursday here on our show. And uh, I, one of the questions I want to uh, ask him is that across the country, when they look at all the deaths that have occurred because of the coronavirus, 39% of those deaths are uh, the result of, uh, you know, elderly facilities that are supposed to be taking care of people who are elderly and can't take care of themselves. That's been the big killing fields for this disease. Uh, in New York, it it really was that way because of that stupid rule that they had, and then Como oh. was enforcing where they were sending people that had had the coronavirus and were sending them to nursing homes, and those people were already immune deficient and and were um, of course weakened mm. in a weakened state, and that the uh, the disease got in there and just had a field day, started killing people left hey, and that right. Was criminal. That was criminal. I'm sorry. That was criminal. We already knew that that population was much more at risk, and he sent those people right in. It was very wrong. Something needs to happen on that. I don't know what. I want to ask ask the governor because, look, uh, that's one of the things government should be doing, and that is at least making sure that those facilities are or have the types of programs in, in involved that protects that populace. And uh, I'm, I don't know if that's the case or not. I don't know what the percentage of deaths here in Arkansas have been of people who are in, uh, you know, rest homes or, you know, whatever you want to call these places. But the bottom line is uh, we got to make sure those people are being protected because they are very, 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 uh, open to that infection. All right, let's take a uh, take a break. We'll come back. We're going to talk more. Elizabeth is here. I'm here. Heidi is being kind of quiet, but she's there at the station. Uh, in fact, she's going to punch a button here and give you the traffic and the weather on the Dave Ellswick Show. 1011 FM, The Answer. All right, so uh, Elizabeth did a little bit of uh, searching and uh, we uh, are thankful for Kim Hammer, State Senator Kim Hammer, who you hear uh, here on 101.1 FM, The Answer, every Saturday at high noon. And uh, if you go to his website, is it the KimHammerShow.com? Is that what his website is, uh, Elizabeth? That's where we got it. Yep, that's where we got right. it. Yeah, go to KimHammerShow.com. And... Uh, he has all the latest statistics on his website, and one of those from May 8th, which is last Friday, and as of 5.30 in the afternoon, uh, they have a breakdown that of the deaths from coronavirus statewide, 39% have happened in nursing homes. Now, with that said, that's what the figure is nationally as well. Uh, Nursing homes have not been, uh, as far as I'm concerned, the place that you want to be with uh, this virus out there. Um, And it it goes to show that uh, 
there's some different things that are going to have to be looked at by the health department when it comes to nursing homes of how to protect, you know, some of our most vulnerable, uh, you know, population that are, you know, in a specific area in large numbers and can be attacked by a virus like this, whether it's a coronavirus or some other virus. I, I I don't think I would want to be somewhere where ever, you know most people are are in you know have health problems for the most part. They have a lot of really serious serious underlying health problems because that makes you very very susceptible to this. I mean we've heard the we've heard the the, the numbers for you know these uh, nursing homes if you're you know, morbidly obese, your chances of dying from this uh, are much higher. Uh, if you're a smoker, your chances of dying are much uh, higher. And it doesn't matter what you smoke. It doesn't matter whether you're smoking cigarettes, uh, vaping, or vaping, or smoking pot. Any of those. Any of those. Anytime that you're pulling a, you know, some kind of substance into your lungs that your lungs weren't made to be ta- have taken into them, uh, raise your chances of one getting the virus and number two, the virus being more severe uh, in your body. So it's, it's something that you know, these are things that you got to take into consideration. Now, if you want to roll the dice, it's your life. I mean, I'll be the first one to tell you, if you want to roll the dice, it's, it's your life. Uh, but um, I don't feel that way about nursing homes. Uh, nursing homes should have every protocol in their disposal uh, at their at their nursing homes to make sure uh, that their patients are safe. And we all know that the nursing homes, some of them, uh, a, a sizable minor minority, are not uh, taken care of well. Uh, that's just that's just the the bottom line of it. They're expensive to run, and not everybody, for instance, in a poor state like Arkansas, can afford to be in ones that are doing everything they should be doing. So I we're I've, in I've we're under what, the crosshairs on that one. Yeah, Arkansas has a you know people here are more obese and they're not in good health, and we have a higher. I mean, we see this on the health stats all the time. Arkansas, you know, we're, we're not healthy people, so I'm surprised that we've done as well as we have had, as we've done. Comparatively, we're not doing well. No one's doing well with this, but we're doing better than some. Well, and the other part of it being that some minorities have more problems, uh, African-American as well as Hispanic. And the reason that is, is uh, cultural yes. lifestyle. That yes. that. That's a problem. Especially in the South. We have yeah. huge obesity issues in the South. Huge. Yes. Yeah. And that's a, that's a serious, serious problem. Well, Elizabeth, i got to get the Bible guys in here. We've got news coming up. And then uh, we'll let you uh, go get another, get yourself another <laughs> cup of coffee. But I know you're going to come back. And, and we'll pick up more on, you know, the Obama administration hire officials and how all of them and I'm saying all of them because I haven't seen one of them say that they had any solid evidence against the uh, the uh, the president of collusion. 
uh, in their interviews with the FBI, but they were out front on the talk shows and stuff saying that, oh, yeah, yeah, there's no doubt in my mind there was collusion going on, but there was no evidence of that. So we'll talk about that when we come back. Elizabeth is with us. She'll be back at 8 o'clock. But coming up, the Bible guys are going to be here on the Dave Ellswick Show. 823-0965. The number to call with your questions. i got questions that you've already sent in. BibleGuys at SalemLR.com. They're next on the Dave Ellswick Show. What I love about my new producer, she brings up uh, music that I, I've not heard. Was that the Newsboys, uh, Heidi? Uh, this is uh, Love Me Good by Michael W. Smith. Michael W. Smith. Okay. i got to give you guys a story about Michael W. Smith. 1986-7, he was uh, performing with Amy Grant. As everybody knows, they're very good friends, and they got their start in Christian contemporary music. Because uh, that's what they called it back then. It was, uh, you know, CCR, CCM. And uh, I uh, interviewed Michael, great guy, and then interviewed Amy. And uh, we inter- I, I interviewed Ma- Amy just as she released. Uh, and if you're big in the, in the contemporary music, uh, Amy came out with uh, the album Age to Age, which was oh, yeah. the, al- the album that propelled her into literally superstardom. I mean, it blew yeah. her up big time. Uh, you know, sing praise to the Lord and all of that. Uh, Angels watching over me. Those were just some yeah. of the songs that uh, came out on that album. And uh, we got a really nice letter from, uh, trying to think, of Word Records uh, thanking us because we were uh, the people, her music wasn't played over in over in uh, Europe very much for the simple reason that there weren't contemporary Christian radio stations at all in Europe. Yeah. We had a few here in the United States, but none over there. And so when we would play our shows on Armed Forces Radio, we had what we knew was a shadow audience. People in all these different countries wanted to know what was the latest stuff going on with music and things of that nature, so they listened outside the the base to their local armed forces radio stations to keep up with all of that. And I did my interview with Amy, and, and we focused on that album. And uh, it sold a million copies in Europe. Wow. <laughs> pretty, pretty amazing. Wow. They, they gave yeah. us the, uh, the credit for that, which was nice of them. I don't know how much of it we really had to do with it, but uh, it, it caught on like fire. And, and, and Amy caught on like fire, of course, uh, when she had her divorce and, and uh, remarried and went into secular music for a while. It really had an impact on her, her career, sure. but uh, she, uh, she, uh, uh, she survived it, and I'm glad she did. And uh, she's done a lot of great, great things, to be honest. 
and I'm very happy to say that I got to know her when she was just starting out. She was such she was a you know she wasn't much more than as a teenage girl, Scott. When I had her, oh, wow. I sat sat down and talked to her. She couldn't have been. I think maybe she's twenty twenty one when I talked to her. And it, it, so David, I, it's how amazing. many of those? How many royalty checks do you get sent from? Uh, I don't get any royalty checks. I sure wish. <laughs> I sure wish. Because, but you know what? I I listen to our station, and I don't hear what you would call a recurrent goldie. Uh, you know, gold record being played on in, uh, uh, like you would, if you listen to a uh, a rock and roll station and they play classic rock, you'll hear. Certain songs from, uh, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago still being played. Uh, But in uh, Christian music, I don't hear that type of programming uh, from the radio stations there. They're pretty much on the, you know, if if it's not much more older than a couple of few years old, it's not way back there i mean i don't hear amy and i don't hear randy stonehill and i don't i don't hear daniel amos and i don't hear the resurrection band and i don't hear petra and people like that right. you know i hear i hear the the new guys and that's cool that's fine i like a lot of the news people i mean the new ones i like the newsboys and and some of the yeah. other groups that are out there now the newsboys been around for a long long time you know yeah, you know they've been around doing doing their thing for a long time, but and they're still touring though. I mean, Amy's not touring, uh, doing you know classic Christian music anymore. Right. Um, right. You know, she's doing her song that she did with Peter Centura and all that other stuff that she did too. Uh, but um, what can I say? It, it's a little bit different in the way uh, Christian uh, contemporary is today than uh, they look at uh, classic rock and roll so all of you were gone last week uh you were gone scott and uh steve had to work and and of course billy had to work and these guys better better way of putting it they were like paul they were out knit uh darning the nets so to speak (laughs) and and had had work that they had to do and uh so we had a best of show last week but here we are back today and uh i got a few questions for you you guys ready to get started or you got something you want to talk about before we before we get into it scott anything that you want to bring to us no i'm ready to go you're ready to go. Okay, everybody's ready to go. So let me look here. I'm, i got to pull up the, the, the questions here. So I'll just start with this one right here. It says, okay, guys, so what are your thoughts about the Galilee reaching its record height? Does that tell us something about an outpouring coming to the church? Is it prophetic or just a blessing for Israel? Also, what have you guys done during this time of seclusion? Do you think we are nearing the end? And if so, what do you think our new world is going to look like? I probably, we could just start with you then, on Scott, on this. And let me just say that uh, New Life Church hasn't opened its doors yet. Well, we didn't have a corporate service this last Sunday. We were on, on uh, YouTube. I got a hold of Rick uh, Bazette and asked him. He said, we'll open our doors phase two. Um, and so uh, that's that's what he had to say about it. So, you know, what about uh, Agape? Where are you guys, and what are you thinking about? Well, we we are uh, we have opened uh, our doors. Um, we, this this past Sunday, we had two services. Uh, we had uh, a nine o'clock service 
still with social distancing, uh, with hand sanitizers. We're not passing offering buckets. It's very similar to the way it was when the thing first started. Uh, the second service we d- had was a service in the parking lot. So this way, those who felt comfortable enough to go inside could. Those who were still uncomfortable could go to the outside service. So we tried to accommodate both. Um, currently, we've polled our, um, our, our volunteers force, and we only have about 30% of the people who are feel comfortable about going back to um, serving. So even if we flip the switch tomorrow to go back to normal, we couldn't do it because we don't have the, the volunteer force in place. So, um, but we're not we're not having the children's services um, and things like that, or at least we didn't last week. We're trying to determine how we move forward. But the governor said these were merely guidelines um, that the church uh, obviously is going to self-govern. Um, so they weren't they're not directives or anything like that. So we're we're doing the best we can to to um, to work with. Um, what we feel is right for for our people, and so we're going to continue to run with two services that will allow us to keep the, our numbers down in each service, and also to segregate um, children from from the older population. Uh, but this Sunday we'll be doing it. This Sunday we'll be have two services. Um, they'll both be in the house this Sunday, uh, but we've got everybody uh, spread out, and um, hopefully um, we can get back to normal soon. Okay, well that's good. I mean, this is a, a trying time uh, for the church. There's yeah. no doubt about it. Uh, I mean, we've got you know multiple thousands of people watching our our YouTube uh, yeah. broadcast for uh, New Life Church, and they've been doing a good job. And uh, I I will say that the worship at my house has been pretty good, uh, but right. it, it it isn't like it is. When you come together as a group of believers and you're all no. worshiping together, no, it's not. And I can tell you that from, you know, the, I taught the same sermon um, both in the parking lot and in the in the building on Sunday, and it was just a vast difference between, um, you know, the way I felt the, the message came across. Because I can't, you know, when you're doing it in the parking lot or if you're doing it just on camera, you don't have any interaction with anybody. You don't get to hear. You know, you have no eye contact. You don't have any body language. You don't have, you know, any, you know, laughing at a funny moment or, uh, you know, shouting at a good moment. I mean, it's just, you know, it's just a very, very different, very sterile type environment. So to have a living, breathing group of people around us, you know, is uh, is is important. Uh, you know, the Bible says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. It doesn't say the word became a satellite dish and dwelt among us. There's something about <laughs> becoming. There's something about becoming flesh, about the flesh part that is important to uh, to the you know, the overall uh, you know working of what we do. It's a very it's a very tactile, very very uh, touchy uh, type faith. We're meant to lay hands on the sick and to and to baptize people and to, to dedicate babies and to you know it's 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 meant to be that way. So. Um, we're working with what we can to get us back to normal, uh, you know, using the wisdom that, that God gives us, but at the same time um, trying to make a space for um, complying with uh, certain regulations. All right. Now, Steve, I heard you in the background when I said, you know, worship is uh, not the same over, uh, you know, YouTube as it is at the uh, uh, and when you're at church, and I heard you go, no. I mean, I could hear you. You you were you, you know you were very vocal about that. Uh, share what you think about that. Well, it's it's exactly what Pastor Scott was saying. We are not meant to be in isolation. We are meant to be a corporate body. We are meant to be one. And I'm not sure how to explain it. Um, 
from a spiritual standpoint. But um, there's two things that uh, one thing that God wants and one thing that the enemy does not want. And that is unity. And unity means that we all come Amen. together and act, act as one. And if we can get together somehow in the spirit realm, I think, as, as the Bible says, was it one could put a thousand and, and two can put 10,000 to flight, that something happens uh, when we all come together and, and, our, and our, in particular, spirits, anointings, praise, unify and multiply. And so it's absolutely necessary for our, not only uh, for our spirits, but in how we praise and worship God. And, and that when we come together corporately, that just strengthens and empowers. It's just the way it is. All right. Billy, anything you want to add in? Yeah, you know, uh, Scripture actually commands us to, to be together. Um, in, in Hebrews we, uh, 10, we see the uh, declarative, let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Uh, do not stop coming together. And we've, we've had a time here where because of a... Uh, because of this virus that we've we have chosen to to isolate and um, we we needed to do that obviously to keep this thing from getting stupid out of control but there's a reason we were commanded uh, to assemble together because that is what is healthiest for our souls that is what is healthiest for our worship Uh, it is how we um, it is how we play off of one another and how we um, how our spirits co-mingle together when we are um, in one place and in one accord. So uh, it, it has been trying times. I'm ready for this mess to be over. I am ready to move back to some semblance of normality. Yeah, I'm with you all about that. I definitely am uh, looking forward to a, a normal type of, uh, of a day, a normal type of a worship day. Those are always uh, in, important. All right, yeah. so uh, last uh, question off of that. We'll come back and answer this. And that, what have you been doing during this time of social distancing where we've been staying at home? Uh, let you share some of your stories when we come back. And then lastly, the question about the Galilee reaching its record height. I hadn't heard much about that. Maybe you all have. Is it uh, about an outpouring coming to the church? Is it prophetic or just a blessing for Israel? We'll talk about it when we return here on The Bible Guys. They're with us until the top of the hour. If you have a question, 823-0965, And uh, if you're uh, wanting to just email us, you can do that at Guys at Salem, S-A-L-E-M-L-R dot com. Don't forget about PI Roofing. They're ready to help you if you've got any problems with your roof or you've had a leak and some damage has been done uh, to the inside of your house. They're also a legitimate contractor group, so they've got people that can come in and replace drywall and, uh, you know, ceilings and all kinds of stuff. If you've had, uh, you got mold, then come in and eradicate that. They can do all of those things for you because... Uh, they're not a real big contractor. I mean, there's real big ones out there, and they don't want to deal with just fixing uh, a, a stain on your ceiling in your bedroom. You might think it looks ugly. They think it's a waste of time to give the manpower to fix it, but uh, 
the people PI roofing don't feel that way. Now, if you're worried about social distancing and all of that, you don't have to worry about that with PI roofing. You can do all of your setup about this from over the telephone or by uh, getting online at piroofing.com. The telephone number is 707-3551. And you talk to them and uh, tell them what the problem is. And they'll probably maybe ask you to send them a picture or two uh, if there's a problem inside. But they can do all of this uh, work for you and uh, not have to do any kind of real face-to-face meeting and uh, or break our social distancing rules or anything like that. So uh, PI Roofing's very uh, aware of how everybody is during this time about social distancing, about uh, not just letting people get right close to them. They'll take care of that when they fix your problem. Uh, go to piroofing.com or call them at 707-3551. Traffic and weather, then back with more with the Bible Guys on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, let's continue the Dave Ellswick Show with the Bible Guys, 26 minutes after 7. Uh, let me finish up with this first question that I have here because it was a, the, the important part of the question was at the very beginning, and I, I started off with the secondary question. The first question is, so what are your thoughts about the Galilee reaching its record height? I hadn't heard anything about this, guy, so if you have, I'll let you talk to it. Does it tell us something about an outpouring coming to the church? Is it prophetic or just a blessing for Israel? Do you know what the the uh, the, the question is referring to, Scott? You want to start it off? Uh, yes, uh, I've, I've seen uh, quite a bit of a reporting uh, on that, and uh, the last time I was in, I was in Israel about two and a half years ago, it was about eight, eighteen feet uh, down. I mean, you could walk way down. Uh, towards the the water, and now it's basically um, at its uh, record height. They're actually considering now, uh, I think, four more inches, and they're actually going to open the dam and start uh, releasing water into the wow. Dead Sea. Uh, yeah, so it's it's pretty it's a pretty big deal. It's a huge you know blessing for for the nation of Israel, and just from my perspective, um, is it a blessing to the church? Um, I think I think anytime significant things happen in Israel, we we keep our eye on the church. I mean, you can go back in time and look. Amen. In 1948, when Israel became a nation, we had the great uh, healing revivals that happened in uh, in the U.S. You look at the 1956 1956 war, the things that were happening here during that time. The Yom Kippur War in the 70s that was the beginning of the great uh, um, revival of the uh, of the Word and the Spirit. I mean, you can. In the 60s, and of course the, uh, the the war back in um, in '67, and the in the charismatic outpouring. And a lot of times, when significant things happen in Israel, you can look at the church, and there's a corresponding something corresponding in the church that happened. So, um, I wouldn't put it past this being a prophetic uh, uh, prophetic symbol, especially when there's been so much talk now about um, a third great awakening and things of that nature. So. Um, you know, and, and the vast majority of Jesus' ministry happened in the Galilee. Um, and so, uh, of course, I'm not 100% sure, but, I'll, but you know, I'll, I'll be happy to receive it if that's where it is. Yeah, absolutely. We'll all be happy to see it happen. Scott yeah. or Steve, did you have anything you wanted to add? Um, the Yeah, I mean, the sea's been down for quite some time because they've been using that water to pump to a lot of the communities that Israel's been building. And so it's it's a big blessing. Um, as far as outpouring comes, you know, I'm, I'm kind of with Scott on that. We'll just we'll just see. I wouldn't call it a direct correlation, but definitely 
um, the way Israel goes, the way the world goes, for that matter, not just America and not just the church. And so I'm hoping that soon there's going to be an outpouring. But um, I have different views, I think, on uh, on the coming forth of an outpouring. I do believe one's coming. I believe it, it, the Bible does speak of an end times revival and outpouring. But um, I look for outpourings to come when the people are starving enough for it. Um, and I think that when we come out of being locked down, we'll determine how hungry we are. Because All right, I got just goes back. Hold, hold your thought. I'll pick you up on the other side of Rush Limbaugh. He's up right now. Okay, back as we continue here with the Bible, guys. We got uh, Scott is here. Scott Stewart, Pastor Scott Stewart from Agape. Steve Hess is here. Steve Hess handles the. Uh, uh, school at agape and uh, billy is here too billy miller and he is a uh, prison uh, minister although that ministry has been kind of curtailed with the uh, uh, coronavirus uh, outbreak all right so steve you we were talking about the galilee evidently uh, a lot more water flowing down the galilee that has been in the past uh questioner wanted to know is this prophetic is there anything to be made of this? And uh, you were talking about that. So I'll let you pick it up there. Yeah, I, I, my, my thought that I was getting ready to share was that I think that whether something's going to happen here or not will determine on how we respond coming out of this. Um, if we just go back to the way things are, if we just go back to normal, if we just come back and the majority of the church world just comes in and clocks in for God, they come in and they give him... You know, they show up 10 minutes late for church and leave 10 minutes early. Their prayer life doesn't change. Their study life doesn't change. And it, to me, that would tell them, and then we learn nothing from this, and we got no stir, we got no hunger. And maybe maybe God doesn't respond to what we're doing, which I know that's the truth. Um, so I'm hoping that we come out on fire and ignited about getting back together and being one in that corporate pursuit of the manifested presence of God. Um, so I'm hoping that there will be a pursuit for that outpouring and we just don't go, well, Hey, the outpouring is going to come and we, we make no effort towards seeing it. That's kind of my thought on outpouring. Now, Billy, you brought up something about scripture during the break and dealing with, uh, uh, the Galilee flowing the way it is. So why don't you bring that to us? Yeah. And I'm, I'm not sure if it's scriptural or if it's rabbinic, um, and, uh, I just didn't get a chance to look, uh, but it's in Jeremiah, uh, there is, there you go. Uh, and I, I, and I said during the break, I'd probably toss that right straight back to Steve. So, um, there is a prophecy that indicates that life will come back to, um, the Dead Sea region. And if the, the Galilee actually gets enough water into it, um, the dam that is opened there, if I recall correctly, that flows I start to say directly to it's it, it, it meanders a little bit as I recall, but it flows from the Galilee to the Dead Sea, and and any time you add a bunch of water to the Dead Sea, you're going to change the salinity level of that thing, and they're already they're already starting to see some life returning to that region, so um, it it is the potential. I'm not sitting here this morning to say this is going to fulfill prophecy, but there's the potential for the possibility of some fulfilled prophecy there. Well, I can hear Steve flipping his pages. Is that, mm-hmm. is that, is that is your is your Bible printed on what they used to call onion paper, uh, Steve? That real thin stuff that crackles like fire in the background. <laughs> yeah, 
and, yeah, okay. and I'm looking for that part. Uh, I'm sorry. Um, I, That's all yeah, right. My, my ear, earpiece is extraordinarily loud, but I'm trying to find the exact prophecy that Billy's referring to when it talks about how the waters will flow back to the Dead Sea and that the Dead Sea would come alive again and the fishermen would return to the Dead Sea. So there is a prophetic word about that. That will be amazing if we see that. Would you agree with that, Scott? That would be amazing because the Dead Sea has been dead for a long time. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and uh, uh, if I'm not mistaken, um, the uh, the scriptures tell us that there was a time where that entire area was just a beautiful, lush uh, uh, sea full of teeming with life. And, and the reason why it is where it is today is because underneath the Dead Sea is Sodom and Gomorrah. If that's the place, the Sodom and Gomorrah was built around that beautiful lake area, and when God destroyed it, the the all of the uh, the salt and the brimstone basically changed it into what it is today. And it is said that in Messianic times, that will change and go back to the way it was uh, during the time of uh, Adam and the patriarchs. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So That's... what Billy's saying is if, if fresh water flows into the salt water, it could actually remove the salt to the point that life could begin to form in it again. Um, and, uh, of course, that would require a lot of water because the Dead Sea is way, way down because of all the uh, – uh, because the uh, there's certain kibbutz around the Dead Sea that are actually taking water away that would normally be going into the Dead Sea. So it's really, uh, it's really down. But uh, could that be the beginning of the fulfillment of prophecy? If so, there have to be a continued – this rain that's begun is going to have to continue probably for several years for it to actually begin to, uh, to uh, expand the Dead Sea. Uh, to that point but you know it we've seen stranger things happen so yeah all right interesting all right so the next question i'll i i can honestly tell you guys when this came to me i looked at it and i read it three times uh because i was like wow i never heard this uh the 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 questioner says i was reading online recently and i saw a comment that said that david and goliath were actually Related, So I look in the scripture and I read that Goliath was the child of Orpah, uh, who was Ruth's sister-in-law. Could this be correct? Uh, were David and Goliath actually related? If so, what kind of a family reunion must have they have had? Ha ha. All right. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's not like they have Thanksgiving over there, so you don't have to worry about that. But yeah, what do you, your guys' thoughts about this? I, I talked to you during the break, and you you immediately started raising some questions. So I'll turn it over to you, so you can uh, share those with the listeners. Go for it, Steve. Um, yeah, I had first. That's the first time I'd ever heard of it, and so I looked it up and. Um, it, it's a rabbinic commentary, a rabbinic tradition that, that says um, that that's the case. It comes from um, how uh, I think it was in Samuel where it said that um, the woman that had the four um, children that were Goliath, uh, that were part of Goliath's family. Uh, but the, the different name, the rabbinic tradition says that was actually um, Orpah. Uh, and even if they were, even if, if, if that's true, then they would actually have only been in-laws because it was the Naomi and her were just the sister-in-laws, you know, the sister, uh, I'm sorry, the daughter-in-laws of, um, of oh, a word. I just had a blank. It's a, it would have been uh, Ruth's sister-in-law, which Ruth. is David's grandmother. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, but they, right. but they obviously, but when, but when Orpa, Orpa obviously was what made Orpa a sister-in-law to Ruth was that they were married to brothers, but both of the brothers died without any children, and so Orpa then left Ruth and Naomi and went off and remarried someone, I guess, who was another Moabite, and if she did have children that happened to be uh, Goliath, there would be no blood relation whatsoever, and really the the uh, the in-law relation would have been broken once uh, you know once the brothers had died and she and she left so um yeah i, I don't yeah that's i'm i'm with the seal on that one okay so the bottom line is uh the house of david didn't have a picnic with uh, orpa somewhere <laughs> along the line and goliath didn't show up and and david said yeah i remember this guy he used to pick on me at the picnic <laughs> and no, nothing nothing like that right right I, not to my knowledge not in the hebrew or the greek or the aramaic or anything or anything else i mean, I mean yeah, it, maybe it is in question though i mean and what the rabbis are telling us is that just like uh, Bible characters have several different names many times um, that um, it very well could be that Orpah had different names depending on the culture that you're writing from. And so they're assigning things to her. But, you know, they do that to a lot of situations as well. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And, and the one thing I'll point out is just like we, we battle against uh, uh, different types of discrimination today, we must remember that we don't have to go back far. Um, from this story before we get to Noah. And when we get to Noah, we're all kinsmen anyway. So, Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. All right. Yeah. This next question is a good one. And I'll ask the question, then we'll take the break, and then we'll come back and let you guys answer it. So, dear, it says, Dear Mr. Ellswick, how are Bible guys in such sync with each other? It's very odd to have so many men of God that seem to be in such unison. I was wondering if Steve could answer the question first, and then Billy, and then last, the pa- uh, Pastor Scott. Uh, do they have disagreements? If they are, are they on big issues? I know this question is kind of general, but I'm really curious about their relationship. So when we come back, let's see, Steve, you get to start this, and then Billy, you get to add in, and then Scott, you get to finish up and and tie it all together. We'll do that when we come back here on the Dave Ellswick Show. But right now, traffic and weather, let's have that and find out what's going on out on our roads on the Dave Ellswick Show, 101.1 FM, The Answer. Now remember, 823-0965 is our local number, 823-0965. you got a question, you can ask it, and the Bible Guys will uh, tackle it for you here on uh, the Bible Guys as part of the Dave Ellswick Show. Every Tuesday at 7 o'clock, they join me. One of the most uh, listened to hours of the Dave Ellswick Show, and uh, I think people find it really very, very inspirational as well as very educational about what these gentlemen have to say. Question was that we left with was how do you guys get along so well? Uh, on the air, you guys seem to hit things off uh, nearly 100% between each other. Are there any areas that you guys uh, disagree with and and have uh, big discussions about? And the, the writer said, start it with Steve. All right, so Steve, you get to start to answer this question. Go ahead. You're gonna, 
They're going to give the most ornery one of the bunch the opportunity to answer this question. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. <laughs> well, in, 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 in that vein, the truth is they just got tired of being wrong, so they, they just admit. <laughs> oh, my gosh. There we go. <laughs> no, it's um, um, well, it's kind of interesting because um, I, I've told Pastor Scott on several occasions, he and I's friendship and, and uh, relationship is kind of very different because – um, we both studied halfway around the world while he was missionaries around the world and I was over here and we came to the same conclusion on so many things that we have yet to find anything that we really disagree about. Uh, so it's kind of unique and obviously we just attribute that to following the leading of the Spirit of God. Uh, now Billy and I on the other hand have quite a bit of differences. Uh, <laughs> but the, the, the big thing though that we both come to the table with is we're grown-ups and we're also not so prideful that we, neither one of us could admit that when we're wrong. Um, right. <laughs> and and the things that we focus on or the things that we have a disagreement about are uh, the minor things. Because um, what matters is who God is, um, who his son is, and in the moral and ethical commandments. Um, as far as the rest of the things that a lot of people fight and differ about, they're not worthy of division. And we kind of, right. if we do have those things, they're, they're not worthy of separating or breaking fellowship over and, you know, and I think we can I can say of all of us it is true that we have no agendas and that we all desire to understand the word of God um, and his truth and his fullness. And and if we if the spirit of God leads us into something and says, hey, you were wrong in this, or you misunderstood this or whatever the case is, then we'll, then we'll admit that. And so that's why we really don't have really any major disagreements. And if we do, just like what I was doing there, we poke at one another because they're not a mat. None of us is saying, hey, it's OK to be gay. Hey, it's okay to lie. Hey, it's okay to commit adultery. We're not dividing over things that are enormous, but we can poke about end time stuff or what a giants were or that kind of stuff. And so it's just not, not that important. Okay. Over to you, Billy. You were number two on yeah. this guy's list. There we go. Um, I would say the same thing. No, uh, when it comes to the big important things, um, no, I, I don't know that there's any division among us um, at all. And, and again, that comes from uh, uh, having a similar foundation and having opened the Scripture one day. It's amazing that if you just read Scripture and go, the Scripture says what it says, and it means what it says, that suddenly you, you find yourself on real common ground. You find yourself on a real yeah. um, similar sort of foundation. So uh, are there disagreements among us? Uh, yeah, there are some disagreements about but in a lot of instances, it's the same sort of disagreements that, that any um, scholars find themselves in, right? How did you interpret this particular um, sentence, or, or how did uh, there, there's room here in the language for this to slide one way or the other? How do you interpret that versus how do I? It's, it's really stuff that the vast majority of the people who, if you were sitting in the room with us, you'd be like, why are y'all even discussing this? Um, but it, it becomes important um, because. Particularly for people, I, I tend to be very intellectually um, focused, and as a result, part of the way that God deals with me and part of the way my relationship with God works, God never asks us to be blind, to have blind faith. Uh, he put all the evidence there for you. So part of the way that my relationship with God works is is God revealing to me how he has already told us these things. Um, so I find myself in the weeds a lot, uh, and it's it's in those it's in the weeds where we can find some um, disagreement about really 
unimportant sorts of things when it, in the in the grand scale. And as long as you can be like like Steve said, as long as you can be an adult about it, and uh, we can we can shout at one another across the table and then hug necks and go home, uh, it it just doesn't matter. Okay, so let me just ask this of you, Billy. I would assume by what you just said that you're not a Kirk Guardian kind of a person. Uh, you, probably you don't be- not. You, probably you don't believe not describe in- myself that way, right? Okay, you're not a blind leap of faith guy, huh? I uh, there there's a moment where a leap of faith has to happen, um, but. W- once that has happened, once you have said, yes, I accept that there is a God and that, that he loves me and, and he is my personal Savior and these things, um, then there's lots of evidence there for you to spend a lifetime uh, examining. I got gotcha. you. All right. Scott, you're last. Uh, you've heard both of what both of these guys have said. Now let's add you into the mix. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm pretty much going to sound just like uh, like those guys. I think that um, because we all share the same um, hunger and passion to know truth and not to know doctrine, I think that that uh, has allowed us, even though we all studied separately from each other, we all studied at different times, as Steve said, even geographically, we were, we were not communicating with each other, but we've come to most of the same agreements. I think it's a huge praise the Lord to the Holy Ghost for his leading but also, I think it's also a testament to the importance of studying Hebraically. When you are able to Amen. study the Bible, Bible from its cultural perspective, its first-century historical perspective, its geological perspective, its linguistic perspective, if you apply all those things to the text, you will find you guys are coming out with almost the same doctrine, the same information uh, across the board, as opposed to bringing different theological perspectives you got from an evangelical seminary into place and that causes more division than anything else but if you just go at it just from you know i have a heart to learn and i'm willing to be challenged and willing to change um i think the holy spirit has a lot to work with and he can bring us into a place of uh, of unity whereas the, the doctrines and the traditions of men bring a lot of uh, a lot of division just the opposite so um are we different in some areas we are um but um but it's it's not anything that is of any significant significance that would cause us to be, um, you know, adversarial towards each other or anything like that. But really, they're not big issues from what I have, what I have seen. Now there might be some out there in the future that I don't know about, but at the moment, um, I feel that we're we're pretty much on the same page across the board. And then again, that's not having actually um, studied from the same, um, you know, the same uh, time frame or even the same, the same. Um, reading the same books or anything like that not necessarily i'm sure we have read the same things but it's uh it goes very much to um thanking the holy ghost for his leading but also from the foundation we study from it's a hebraic first century judaic perspective as opposed to a, a greek hellenized uh western version of uh, of the scripture solves a lot of problems yeah, the only thing that I've seen you guys really disagree over is that Steve refuses to wear pink ties, uh, where where uh, Scott and Billy say it's no big deal, but Steve really says it challenges his manhood. So anyway, well, well he's insecure in that way, and uh, we're trying to help, him. and that's why he's not on Twitter either because he just can't. Handle it. But, but he's a truth. work in process. He, he, he's, he's growing. And we're all confident that he will he'll make it someday. <laughs> all right. Let me bring Heidi in because, Heidi, we had a caller. What was it exactly the caller wanted to know again? 
Okay, so um, the caller, um, it was a woman. She wanted us to, um, she wanted the pastors to speak to how religious services are being oppressed right now. That, those were her words. She says, how, how are we going to go forward, um, you know, into the future from this pandemic? Because she was talking about, she said, I've been trying to find a church, but all of them have been closed. And she's been reading some of uh some of the oppression that some pastors have faced on the news. And so uh, she's just wanting to know, um, you know, how are we going to go forward on that? Okay, Scott, we'll leave it with you on that. Yeah, uh, there have been a lot of governors uh, overreaching, going well beyond their, uh, their authority and their jurisdiction. Um, the, uh, you know, our Constitution, our Bill of Rights, all these things were set up to keep the government out of the life of the church, not vice versa, as we're told uh, today. Uh, and there are churches that are beginning to push back. I just saw that 3,000 churches in California are suing the governor uh, for his uh, for his overreach. So there's a begin there's a beginning a a, a pushback, uh, which is uh, which is which is uh, which is needed in a, in a lot of places. Um, as far as what it looks, what the future looks like for churches, that's really going to depend on the churches themselves and their and their leadership. I can tell you from my perspective, um, our church, we're going to do everything we can to to move us back to um, life as it uh, as as it was, as far as meeting in a, a physical building, doing the things that we were doing. Um, but I think that we've also been pushed to more um, technology, more social media, doing more things online. I think some people are going to decide, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to do life uh, in solitude. It's not what we want. It's not what we believe is right. I think some people are going to make that decision. So I think you're going to see a blending together of what used to be and what has been. Um, but uh, we believe that uh, the, the the life of a Christian is meant to be celebrated in community. And so we will be moving our church back to that place of community that it had before this pandemic um, came along. But there has been definite overreach and definite uh, violations of um, scriptural and biblical authority on part of the, uh, a lot of governors. All right. Don't forget, Agape Church meets on Sunday. What are the two times on Sundays? Quickly, Scott. 9 o'clock and 1030. 9 o'clock, 10.30, Agape Church. Go to their website. Check it out. Steve, Billy, thank you for joining us, and we'll see you again next Tuesday on The Bible Guys. hour of a Tuesday show. Good to have you with us. Hope you enjoyed the Bible, guys. That is the most listened to segment of the Dave Ellswick Show during the week. And uh, it's always highly interesting. I always find it very interesting. And uh, so do you. All right, back with you. Elizabeth has joined back up with us here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Don't forget Thursday, 7 o'clock, the governor will join me for a half hour, and I'll be talking to him 
couple of questions just at the top of my mind right off the bat. I just want to know what was going on behind the scenes some. I'm I'm one of those guys that like to pull the curtain back a little bit and say, what was going on when these kinds of decisions were being made? You got all these people that are coming in and telling you this and telling you that. You know, uh, how do you how do you take all of that, put it in a bag, shake it up, pour it out and make it happen? So we're going to talk to him about that. And then I want to talk to him about that 39% of the uh, COVID, uh, COVID deaths here in the uh, state of Arkansas have happened in rest homes. And that's, that's, it's that way uh, nationwide. And uh, so that tell us that we have work for ourselves to do dealing with, uh, you know, nursing homes uh, for elderly people. 39% of all the deaths from COVID-19 have occurred in, uh, you know, Facilities that take care of elderly people. Elizabeth, you'll you know be. Go ahead. That's right on target with the national statistics. Though. Yes, You're it not is. Not any higher. Okay, so that's a good thing. You have to look for the positive in these news stories these days. Well, I agree with you. We're right. I mean, we're smack on the number. The average here in the country is thirty-nine percent of deaths have occurred in nursing homes, but. My belief is that's too high. There's got to be things that we can do to mitigate that and lower it. Uh, And it should be uh, something that we look at after this is all said and done. And and maybe there's a few things that we should do differently. And uh, we should look over that closely. Uh, Perhaps some of that money that we use on other programs uh, can be rearranged so that it's being used to uh, maybe keep a closer eye on uh, nursing homes. You know what I'm saying? I don't. I don't know how you people gotta feel know, about that. Yeah, you got to know people are going to be looking at what's happened in the nursing homes. They already are, of course, and trying to figure out is it just a factor of the fact that the people there are already in that very, very, very high risk category. Yeah, they're very older. vulnerable. They're, they're already vulnerable. usually, yeah, they're already usually what they call comorbid, which means they have some other problems, health issues that are serious. And, of course, they're in a restricted environment. We know prisons and nursing homes, see, and other, that's why they're not having summer camp. We can't afford right now, uh, contagion-wise, to concentrate a whole lot of people indoors, inside, together for an extended period of time. That seems to cause a lot of problems. Yeah. And we found that out, and so uh, we've made some changes. The thing that bothers me the most, and, and Heidi, you can jump in on this if you want to, is people who are saying uh, the way life was will never be again. I disagree with that. I mean, I, I can't tell people how much I disagree with that. For instance, after the planes flew into the World Trade Center and into the Pentagon and into the field, um, there were people who said that airline travel would never, would never you know, be, be the same, same again. And, and I'll agree. We got TSA. OK, I know that we got that. We got that extra layer of, quote, precaution. However, up until COVID-19, more people were flying than ever before. They had gotten over their worry that their plan was going to be overtaken by terrorists and things of that nature. And I believe that's exactly how people are going to uh, respond uh, to COVID-19. 
The big thing is when the vaccine comes, and that's coming. Uh, they're working on it feverishly, and uh, when it when it occurs and we have it, a lot of uh, the trepidation that a lot of people have about gathering in numbers will go away. You know, it, it just goes, it will go away. I mean, how long, you know, with H1N1, H1N1 killed a lot of people too. Let's not forget that. And uh, bottom line, uh, what we re- I would say things were back to normal in six months after that. Would, would you guys agree with that? I think that when you talk about life being the same, it's just what I said earlier in the show. It's a function of that familiarity. We're becoming more and more familiar with this thing every day. You talked about flying. People got to where they didn't think about the hijackers. Remember the hijackers back in, what was it, the 70s and 80s? That's all people thought yeah. about. They didn't want to get on the planes. We and then everybody got over that. used to it. We got used to it. Same yeah. thing with TSA and the pat-downs and all those things. We don't like it, but we're used to it, so we're doing it. Um, I think some of that being used to it is a good thing right now. We have to be very careful that we don't become oblivious, that we don't become so used to it that we're overlooking the obvious dangers and problems uh, that come from this until we find a vaccine. It's a function of familiarity. We're, we're famous for this in our country. I mean, oh, let's yeah. face it. We look at something today in the news, and tomorrow we don't even remember it anymore because we've got something else. The shiny thing, right? And yep. familiarity. Both yeah, working I against agree. us. How are you feeling about this, Heidi? You're well, the you're the youngster among us. <laughs> well, um, my hope, and I, I, I really hope that um, after this COVID nineteen pandemic, that um, we do have a heightened awareness of germs and how quickly germs can spread and how easily people can get sick. And so. You know, if people do start to get under the weather, you know, feeling like, hey, I'm feeling a fever. I'm running a cough. Well, I guess I'm going to go to the grocery store. It's like, no, no, no. Like, stay (laughs) home. Let's take your temperature, make a doctor's appointment and then get get your get yourself fixed. And so um, that's what I hope going forward, kind of like with uh, with after after 9-11 happened. That's when there was uh, tighter security at airports. And now people are just going to airports, you know, not living in fear of that. Um, that's what I hope that, you know, in terms of things not really going back to normal, I think there will be some sort of normalcy, but hopefully we'll be more aware and be smarter and about, um, you know, keeping ourselves healthy. I'll tell you the thing that I hope changes I more than any time is this, that owners of businesses or uh, people who uh, are, uh, you know, managers at businesses and things of that nature will tell their people if they're sick, stay home. It's not yeah. a badge of courage. That you wear and you say, man, I'm as sick as a dog, but I'm going into work today. We, I, I hope we get over that, to be honest. I've been, I've been trying to do that for years. I've told people that I've worked with, if you're sick, stay home. No use in bringing it into uh, you know, the workplace as well. And the other thing I hope that happens out of this is this whole thing of, of teleworking, to be honest. Uh, will come up and and be able to uh, be uh, you know to 
let people work at home more often than what they were in the past, that uh, people can do their jobs and uh, and do them well. And then lastly, telemedicine, uh, that it will come into its own because of this COVID-19. Uh, you know, I wouldn't mind just talking to a, uh, a, a physician on my, my cell phone, doing FaceTime and telling them how I'm feeling, what's going on, and and, uh, you know, probably I, it's nothing serious. If it is, they can tell me to come on in. But if it's not, they can say, well, Dave, this is what it probably is. Go ahead and do this. If you don't feel better in the morning, call me back. You know, I think, you, I think that's you know, good. That's going to that's going to reduce costs. It is. It's changing a lot of things. One of my neighbors is a uh, is a coach for one of the high schools. And he and I had a long conversation from about 12 feet apart in the, in the driveway yeah. the other day. We were out there for a couple of hours. It was fascinating for me to listen to what he was telling me about what he has already seen. And this is in central Arkansas. I'm not going to be at liberty to say what school, although I am sure. in Conway and it is not Conway. I want people to understand that. Okay. Don't make assumptions. Uh, but uh, he was talking about how even in his field, and he is a coach, how it works for him and how they can talk to different students one-on-one, how the students, of course, are so super comfortable with the technology. He says, you know, it's going to totally change starting in this fall. It's been abruptly force-fed to the education um, industry, but we are going to be changing the way we do school going forward. It will change, and it will change dramatically on a couple of different levels because of the online activity that, we were ahead of the game here in Arkansas. Once again, we were lucky. We already had an online academy available for students. We already had the mechanisms in place. It's amazing how quickly that change is going to come about. Yeah, I I was talking to uh, State Representative Mark Lowry, and I'll, i got to get a break in here in a, in a second. Let me finish up this segment with this story from yesterday. And he was talking about he was hoping – more uh, people would decide to do online college than do let's go to let's go to campus and do college. And I I thought that was very telling that 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 that's going to happen. I mean, perhaps even in high have, school, even in yeah, high school, that's perhaps, what my friend was talking to us about. You know, yeah, but here, here's the key the choice when school starts. You do this or you do that. We'll, we'll work with you. Yeah. Well, here's the key. How much will it reduce the debt burden for a person going to college if they don't have to do the room and board thing and all of that, that they can just do the schooling by doing their courses online? I mean, these these are legitimate questions that are going to come out (coughs) of the COVID-19 problem. All right. We'll talk more about this when we come back. This is what's life going to be now after COVID-19. This is a really, I think, important part for us to take into. Uh, and talk about 96 percent of Americans, that's 96 percent, claim their Social Security benefits at the wrong time. And that mistake can cost you some big money. It can cost you up to an average of one hundred and eleven thousand dollars over the course of your retirement. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of living That's a lot of relaxation, to be honest with you. Learn how you could avoid this with a free Social Security analysis from David Lucas Financial. I know you're thinking about COVID-19. You're thinking about 
social distancing. You're thinking about, I don't, I'm out of work right now. But still, you got to give thought to uh, what you're going to do with your Social Security. These are important decisions you're going to have to make. And so um, you need to call David Lucas Financial. If you've saved more than $250,000, you have not filed for Social Security, if you'll be one of the first 10 callers to schedule your free analysis now at 501 501- Two 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 thirty three fifteen. You'd be one of the first ten callers. You get a free analysis right now. Five zero one two 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 thirty three fifteen. The free analysis can be done over the phone. You don't have to go into his office, or you can do it by video conference. Again, the number five zero one two 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 thirty three fifteen. Investment advisory services offered through David Lucas Financial, an Arkansas registered investment advisor. Traffic weather. Then we're back with more on the Dave Ellswick Show. Back, and we're talking about how is uh, how are things going to change after COVID nineteen? And we've been talking about online learning. We've also been talking about telemedicine as well. I think those are two large areas uh, that uh, will affect uh, affect us, as well as doing a lot of work at home where you don't have to come into uh, a business. And I listened to someone talk yesterday, I do believe it was on Fox Business, saying that this could have an effect on real estate because many businesses will find out that they don't need to have huge office space that people come to every day. They can be doing their work at home. You can do right now, it may be called something else here in another few months, but doing Zoom meetings uh, online and things like that. That nature, there'll be different ways of hooking up and 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 talking and and having the necessary protections so that nobody can listen in and things of that nature. So let's go back and talk a little bit more about education, because uh, you made a, a statement during the break, Elizabeth, that Mark Lowry talked about as well, that a large portion of the uh, uh, cost for students. Uh, on campus is fees that they charge them. Now, it's going to be difficult to charge, you know, a fee to go to a football game, a fee to maybe go to a concert, you know, and things of that nature if you're not on campus. So that will hit the universities in the pocketbook as well. And that is an area that continues to rise in cost year in, year out. Your thoughts on that? I'm just not convinced, first of all, that a uh, decent education uh, has to cost anywhere close to what they're charging for it. I do think there's a lot of, I'll call it padding in those numbers. Maybe not, but I believe that's true. I have read and understand that quite a bit of the money comes from, like you say, fees and extra things on the side, the uh, not not room and board, not the actual hours per, you know, the fee per hours that you're paying for the instruction. And when it goes to the option of being online, everything is going to be based. I think I think it may very well be that education is based online with in-person as an extra, an additional thing. It will have to become a basic thing or they won't be able to implement it across the board. It's going to be interesting to see how they continue to justify the high prices 
when they don't have I, – I can't get over the idea that the buildings over here at UCA are sitting largely empty. And they're being maintained, and we built them, and they're sitting there using utilities. And I, I wonder how much that's going to affect the cost of running that university when the numbers of students dramatically drops because everyone's online. And That's I know, what I'm saying. And I know yeah. for me, um, well, well, I went to Arkansas State University up in Jonesboro, and there was a summer where I was considering um, taking some online classes. I, I never did, but um, when I tallied up, um, you know, my tuition and, you know, I, I wouldn't have been staying on campus, but they also included all of those fees. And I was like, I'm not going to be spending my time on campus. So it's like, why well, I have to pay for that? And yep. so that's, you know, things could have changed between now and when I was going to take those online classes. But that's how they were doing it that one summer. Oh, well, that's where the paradigm is going to change. Yeah, there's a lot of pushback already on what you're talking about. People, <laughs> I know there's already students right now who have sued because they were sent home in what, March? So they didn't have the last two months that they paid for, both both with just tuition fees, but also all those extra fees. And they're suing the schools to get their money back. And so rightly an so. Thing. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting thing to see how this shakes out. Once again, Dave, back through the courts. Everything lands or back, you know, bottom line goes to the courts. And the courts are the ones that are, you know, every issue we have in our society, the courts are the ones who are, who, who are deciding. In so many cases, it's venue shopping. That's what worries me. But it will shake out through the courts. Yeah, that uh, you know, I agree with Robert to a certain extent. Good that we have the courts and that we have lawyers because, uh, you know, without that, then it comes down to who's got the bigger gun, so to speak. So, uh, yeah. you know, we don't want to go to that. But uh, I agree that at that point, and in fact, it's at that point already, that's why there's such a fight over the court system. That's why if you if you listen to me talk on the air, I'm always talking about one of the big uh, positive results of the president that we have now is who he's putting on the court system who have a much more conservative viewpoint than the people that went were put into the court systems before him. And their lifetime appointments in so many, many, many cases. Yes, absolutely. I, I really believe, you know, the other side's going to say, oh, you know, they're all, they're all Trumpers and they're all going to do his bidding. No, they're going to do the bidding of the American people, which is follow our Constitution and the rule of law and their lifetime appointments. I'm trying to look up here because there was a huge number. Uh, we've got 102 federal judges that were confirmed in 2019. And over the course of the administration, it's 187. 187 should have been, should have been much more than that. Country. Should have been much more well, than he, that. Got to give Mitch McConnell credit that they've gotten the, the ones that they've gotten through because the Democrats have been doing everything in their power to slow that process down. We'll talk more about all of this when we come back. The phone lines are open, 823 823-0965. What are some things that have been happening during the uh, the COVID-19 outbreak that's going to get carried over into our regular lives uh, when it's over with? We'll talk about it uh, and continue discussing it after we get to, to Sean Hannity. Sean Hannity is next here on the Dave Ellswick Show, 101.1 FM, The Answer.
All right. So Elizabeth and I have been uh, just talking a little bit about what is the future look like uh, for us after the COVID-19 has been said and done. Uh, We both agree that we'll get back to normal faster than a lot of people think. Uh, I was just listening to uh, Stuart Varney on Fox Business and listening to him talk to some of the the big wigs uh, talking from the uh, uh, the setup of where is the economy going? Is it going to be a gradual increase or is it going to be a V recovery? And uh, at this time, it's looking like a V uh, recovery. It looks like as as quickly as we shut things down and things you know, went down to the, in the dumpster that we've hit the bottom already and we are coming back up quickly. We've already regained 75% of what we lost uh, on the, uh, the stock market uh, here in the last three, four weeks. That's an incredible uh, statistic in and of itself. We got another 25% to go, uh, but they believe that that's going to happen. Now, they I, I can tell you, if the economy gets back, people can get back to work. That what will happen is that, uh, I mean, Trump's uh, uh, percentage of people voting for him is still very high now, like 47 percent. That's higher than what he's typically. Uh, and that's going to go up even more as this continues uh, to unfold in front of us. But with the economy coming back, uh, there's things that are going to change uh, that we've been doing. People, kids have been doing school at home. Now, wouldn't it be nice if more schooling could be done at home and we didn't have to build these big, big buildings to house kids? Now, I want everybody to understand, I don't think you can do all education by online yet uh, i mean chemistry to me if you got to do an experiment or something like that uh i'm sure there there has to be there would have to be some differences on that and you know doing um literature and things of that nature but i gotta believe that uh, online learning at home away from the school site is going to make a big jump. Now, with that said, get ready for the teachers unions and others to fight back on that. And uh, superintendents and people. I mean, you're talking about re- you know, reducing the amount of power they were they're going they're going to have in a lot of this. Uh, we this also it's going to be a fight. A- Go ahead. It'll be it'll be a fight. That's a that's a power fight. But we also have a technology challenge, and that comes from a couple of different angles. One angle is the obvious: not every person, every child broadband. has access broadband internet. And we've been taught again. We're a little ahead of that in Arkansas. We've got a lot of work to do. Again, my neighbor spoke to me about that exact problem, said, you know, there's a certain number of our students that we just can't get to right now. And along with that is the home environment. Many of us who have been so fortunate to have good home environments, um, I think, are somehow sometimes overlooking, and I I know I do this occasionally, 
you know, I, I don't think about it. There are so many children that are not in a good home environment. And as long as we're home right now, they're suffering because they don't have that broadband. They don't have access to those other adults. They're bringing what I call normalcy into their lives, and their home environment is not good. We've got a, a societal challenge there to help those children get more benefit from online availability. And that's that's a societal issue. But the technology issue, uh, I think our teachers... You know, just like any other profession, we have the teachers who are in it because they really want to help the children, and then we have the power brokers. And it'll shake some of that out. Well, I think we will find out pretty quickly the ones that are the power brokers and the ones that are really out to help the children. Well, I can let everybody know, State Representative Stephen Meeks, I'll give him a call <laughs> after I get off today and see if I can get him on maybe tomorrow at 7.30 or Maybe Thursday I can get him on at 8 o'clock, whatever. Stephen has been very closely mm-hmm. aligned with the whole broadband and, and what's going on with the state legislature. And, yes, you know, we're last in the United States as far as broadband goes. So we, we've, got to, we've got to get past that so that every kid can, can have a, a legitimate chance of hooking up to it. But you bring up a really... Uh, important point here, uh, uh, Elizabeth, and that is what happens when, you know, your home life uh, as a kid is not the best home life. It's just not there. It's just you know, not there. It's not there. I mean, no. when you go to school, that gives you some some normalcy mm-hmm. with the rest of the kids. If, if, if it's at home, <laughs> excuse me, that will not be the case. Uh, Bless you all day. Because you're going to be, you know, stuck in uh, trying to be online, and perhaps you have no kind of of adult supervision whatsoever. That's asking a lot of a child, to say the least, uh, to do that. So well, we got we got some real discussions to have. The other the other side, of course, is asking what I call too much of the teachers. The other side of that is the exact opposite. The parents cannot turn around and say here you know here's my child you're the teacher fix everything you've got to do everything you know you it's, can't just especially mentoring if it, teacher teacher subject you've got to do everything else for this kid if especially if we move away from a thought process of having this central area that they go to called the school uh-huh. and we we want to break that apart and make it larger and the, all of the learning, for the most part, takes place at the home. That will that will change our society in a huge way. In so many communities, the small communities, especially in the South, I'm familiar, and out West as well, the school and or the church is, and I'm talking about the physical building where people connect, is the central place for where the social fabric of that community resides because that's where everybody is those things are going to make a difference and they're going to change things on a society level again i hope that while those things are changing we can keep our wits about us and watch out for those who are less fortunate among us and try to try to see if we can't can't make things better for them there is a balancing act for sure that's going to be involved there before we take our break and uh, come back because i want to talk about a uh, arrest that took place yesterday at the University of Arkansas, and it's important for you to hear about it. Uh, Ooh, I want to yeah. talk. 
I want to talk about telemedicine because that's going to change a lot about, you know, how often do you go see the doctor? You know, I mean, uh, if you got the sniffles and you're not feeling good, uh, you know, why should you go in to the doctor's office and sit around other sick people when you can go on your, uh, you know, your your personal uh, phone or on your laptop or whatever and talk to a physician that way? Uh, I would think I, my son did this here a couple of weeks ago and if he had gone into the doctor, it would cost him $125. By doing it through telemedicine, it cost him $19. That's a huge, huge savings. Wow. What was the What was the difference? I mean, what? He's not at the, He's not at the doctor's. That's the but only difference. Golly. Is that the only difference? No that test. The, no laboratory. No whatever. Te- no that tests. Wasn't. No tests at all. Wow. There was no, no test. This was nothing more than uh, he. Here's what he had to have. He had to be able to take his temperature. He had to be able to give him give them his weight and his uh, age, of course, and his height. If he gave all of wow. that, and then he went over his symptoms, and the doctor talked to him for a, a matter of no more than thirty minutes. And uh, they came up with a, a solution and and moved on. Uh, if he needs any kind of uh, now, if he needs uh, a refill or whatever, uh, he goes on to the doctor and talks to the doctor and tells him he needs a refill. And then they uh, send his refill to whatever pharmacy he wants to go to. I can see this working. I mean, we had a telemedicine visit in our household not long ago. It was just a routine, you know, follow-up, check-up, nothing going on kind of a thing. And for stuff like that, I think it's awesome. It worked for us. It happened quickly. It didn't take long. Uh, Again, we gave some, some basic statistics. But there was nothing unusual going on it this one was not even over video this was just over the telephone wow that's um, wild I've, yeah i've read and, and again it was just that you know some of us are on medications they have to check in with us periodically and that was one of those it'll be interesting again to see how medicine you know if i'm running a medical practice how much of that medical practice can i what i call shift over to what this is in a way it's more automated and it's a little bit easier once you get your patients accustomed and feeling comfortable i think our doctors and nurses are becoming quickly quickly very comfortable with a lot of the technology they're using or the ones that i'm encountering certainly are um you know using various methods on the phones i know they had to get special regulations to let the doctors use oh, yeah. their personal phone to talk to a patient and yep. I think that's just sort of interesting. Uh, it's going to change. You know, it's going to change, again, the cost of running that health facility. How All much right. more or less can they save doing that? All right. Final break for today. Then uh, Elizabeth and I will come back. The Daily Wire is uh, talking about the University of Arkansas. How come? Stay with us, and I'll tell you, and it's a real eye-opener here on the Dave Ellswick Show, Traffic and Weather uh, here on 101.1 FM, The Answer. Uh, in the last couple of moments here, we have been talking. I've, been, I've played this Pompeo 
uh, segment several times in the last since in February, since February, talking about how China has slowly been infiltrating our country. And they're doing it through businesses that come to the United States. They're doing it through professors that come to the, to the United States. They're doing it through students that come to our schools here in the United States. And they do it through programs that our educational institutions are embracing uh, as well. And yesterday, federal law enforcement officials arrested a professor at the University of Arkansas uh, for allegedly concealing his involvement in a program that the uh, Chinese Communist Party uses to steal intellectual property from U.S. institutions. This is a perfect example of what Pompeo talked about uh, in his presentation to the nation's governors. Simon Ang of the University of Arkansas was arrested Friday, take it back, I said yesterday, Friday, charged on Monday with wire fraud. That's according to the New York Times. He worked for and received funding from Chinese companies and from the Thousand Talents Program, which awards grants to scientists to encourage relationships with the Chinese government. And he warned an associate to keep his affiliation with that program quiet. Quiet. Yeah. The Times reported that Ang's alleged concealment of his financial agreement with the Chinese allowed him to secure funding from U.S. government agencies that banned people who received funding from China. The complaint charges that Ang had close ties with the Chinese government and Chinese companies and failed to disclose those ties when required to do so in order to receive grant money from NASA. That's according to the Department of Justice. These materially false representations to NASA and the University of Arkansas resulted in numerous wires to be sent and received that facilitated Ang's scheme uh, to defraud. If convicted, he faces up to 20 years in prison. With that in mind, I want everybody to understand this is happening to more than just one uh, worker who happens to be at U of A. There's a Dr. Zhao Zhang Li, a former professor at Emory uh, in Atlanta, who pled guilty to a felony charge of filing a false tax return that admitted about a half a million dollars that he received from the Thousand Talents programs. Now, understand that these programs that we're talking about many times as earlier in the in the article and i and people tend to read right over this quickly is that these chinese communist party programs in in fact the thousand talents program is used to steal intellectual property from u.s institutions so let's say uh this doctor had been uh working down at ua Right here at uh, uh, at uh, University of Arkansas, uh, Little Rock, okay? Let's say he's working here, and he's working on the nanotechnology side. And uh, they're making breakthroughs in nanotechnology. Now, this is just me giving you a, a what if. And he takes that information, and he reports that back to the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, and then they 
in turn, take it to their scientists. This is going on, and it's going on in in large uh, all all across the United States. It's why I keep bringing attention to the Confucius Institution on the campus of UCA. You do the background work on that institution, and they're notorious. They are they are tied and 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 seamed at the hip with the CCP. It's something to be very, very concerned about. And I'm not hearing UCA say squat about it. Elizabeth? It looks, it looks, it looks as though all of these organizations, Thousand Talents, and, well, in the case of academia, the Thousand Talents program as well as the Confucius Institute, I, I was raised in you know, our history classes. I was taught that everything China does is a function of the Chinese Communist Party. They are communists. They are not Americans. They are not interested in democracy. They might be interested in trade only as a tool so that they can get into our country and take us over. I just don't understand how we've allowed this to just come right into, especially our educational institutes. It has to do with money. It has to well, do with the money. Let me tell you, let me tell you, talk about money, Dr. Lieber at Harvard University who has now been arrested. This happened a few months ago. Uh, they investigated him about the, the Lieber Research uh, Group at Harvard. They specialize yes. in the area of nanoscience. This mm-hmm. guy has received more than $15 million in grant funding from the National Institutes of Health and the Department of Defense, all dealing in nanoscience. And he is tied at the hip to the Chinese government. This this fellow at the University of Arkansas, his bio is still up on the engineering department uh, website for the University of Arkansas. He's been a uh, associate professor since 1991. 1991. He's been doing this, I would bet, all this while. All this while. He holds four, the man who was arrested here in Arkansas, holds four United States patents. And yet we're getting, by the way, they're not arresting these people for espionage or spying or transferring of secrets. They're getting them on, guess what, money. In this case, this fellow on wire fraud, on receiving money or not reporting income. So they're getting them on that tax thing. It's like they got Capone, all right? They didn't get Capone for all, all the people he killed. They got him for tax evasion. Here's the last two paragraphs of this story. Uh, Dr. Lieber became a strategic scientist at Wuhan University of Technology in China, was a contractual participant in China's Thousand Talents Plan from in or about 2012-2017. And here Mm -hmm. is what they had to say. China's Thousand Talents Plan is one of the most prominent Chinese talent recruit plans that are designed to attract, recruit, and cultivate high-level scientific talent in furtherance of what? Of China's scientific development, economic prosperity, and national security. These talent programs... Yeah, China's. Yeah, China's. Yeah, these talent programs seek to lure Chinese overseas talent and foreign experts to bring their knowledge and experience to the CCP and reward individuals for stealing proprietary information, unquote. 
Okay, now we're out of time right now, but we're going to talk further about this. This is serious stuff, folks. And it's happening right under our noses here in Arkansas at U of A with the Thousand Talents. What's going on about the Confucius Institute over at UCA? Uh, That is another program that we know is tied right to the communist uh, Chinese uh, party in uh, in China. Okay, that's it for today. We got more tomorrow. Don't forget, we'll talk to uh, Congressman Hill. We'll talk to Joe and Duck. We got a lot of stuff going on tomorrow. I'm going to try to get Stephen Meeks on as well. Here on the Dave Ellswick Show, thanks, Elizabeth. Talk to you next Tuesday, a break, and then we've got Gallagher coming up. <laughs>